How great is the Lord's love for us, amen? We could sit and sing about his love with every breath for the rest of our lives, and our words would fall infinitely short of how much he truly does love us, how great he actually is, how faithful and gracious and merciful he truly is. If we use the collective energy of everybody represented in this room for the rest of our lives to do nothing but say how great, how deep the Father's love, it would just be an anthill compared to the truth of how great his love is for us. Amen? We are continuing in the book of James. This week is our fifth week in the book of James. Go ahead and turn to chapter 2. Today, the primary thing that we're going to see in the book of James that I want to go ahead and put before you this morning, and we're going to unpack from the reading, is that our works cannot save us, but a faith without works is no saving faith. James chapter 2 We're going to start in verse 14 as we have been reading this letter where James is forcing us to evaluate ourselves, to look in the mirror and consider if our faith is genuine. James 2 and verse 14, he says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful that your word works within us, in our hearts, to transform us. God, I ask today that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst, opening eyes to see the truth, opening minds to understand, opening hearts to receive, and that we would be changed, and that we would be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. God, be glorified today by the work that you do in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, that one main takeaway that I want us to see from this section of Scripture is the main idea from our sermon today, and that is a faith that doesn't work is a faith that doesn't save. I'll say that again. A faith that doesn't work is a faith that doesn't 
save. Let's go back and look again at verse 14 when he says this. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? James is implying something here, and honestly, it's pretty simple. This rhetorical question he's asking, can that faith save him? What's the implied answer here in the question? You're right. The implied answer is no, that if someone says they have faith, but that faith does not lead them to act, James is implying through the rhetorical question that no, that person's faith cannot save them. Now notice, he is still asking, can that faith save him? So the saving agent or the saving mechanism here is still faith. In fact, this whole passage here, this entire chapter is meant to make us evaluate our faith. I want to go ahead and set the framework here right now that as we go through this, the temptation for us is going to be, oh, well, uh, I want to have real faith, so I I guess I better do more. I guess I want to go ahead and prove that I have real faith, so I better get more involved and do more good deeds and and serve more people and get more involved with helping the poor and the needy. And although we should do that, James is not here trying to get us to go, come on, guys, try harder and do better. He's trying to push at us to get us to look in the mirror so that instead of going, man, I need to do more, we'll go, why don't I do more? Why? If, if our faith does not lead us to good works, we ought to be evaluating ourselves. Let's keep reading as James expounds and gives context to the claims. In verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, here in this passage, in this letter that James wrote, he's exposing the insincerity of faith that gives lip service but no foot service. A a faith that knows how to say the right things, knows how to say, oh, brother, God bless you. Oh, hey, listen, I'll be praying for you. Oh, bless your heart. I hope it all works out. Hey, God said in Romans 8 that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So keep on trucking, brother. Take care. But then does nothing to help that need. He said that faith is useless. He calls that faith dead. He's saying if that faith leads you to spout empty spiritual cliches and platitudes, or as he said, if your faith says, makes you say, hey, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, hope it all works out. If that faith doesn't lead you to act and implement change, your faith is dead. Dead is a strong word. That's a strong word. He says your faith is dead. He didn't say your faith is weak or misguided or misunderstood or immature or undeveloped or or needs to grow. He calls it dead. That's a strong word. 
He's using strong language on purpose. James is talking to an audience who knows how to say all the things and knows how to sound spiritual and knows a lot of Bible knowledge. They knew a lot of the Torah and the Old Testament. He's talking to, to Jews who were very familiar with the concepts of God and righteousness and the law of God, but they knew so much yet did so little. And he's trying to say, hey, all that stuff you know, if it's not leading to doing, you're deceiving yourself and your faith is dead. We have got to get better at getting out of our ivory towers of Christianity and get down and dirty Get down to act out our faith through generosity, benevolence, care, humility, and servitude to the least of these. This is one of the things that Jesus taught us. This is one of the things we see modeled in the book of Acts if we open this historical account of the earliest chapters of history in the church was a, a commonality, a sharing of all their blessings, all their possessions, all their wealth together to take care of those who did not have what others did have. And notice, who modeled this best, better than anyone else? What's the most Sunday school answer you could think of? Who modeled this best? Jesus did. If we consider Philippians chapter two, right? Where it says that he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clinged onto, but he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus modeled better than anyone in history, what it looks like to be in the ivory tower, so to speak, to be in the throne room of heaven, sitting next to the Father on the throne and going, you know what? I'm not gonna cling to my comfort. I'm not gonna cling to my authority here and the riches of heaven. I'm going to take on human form, the form of a servant, come down and not only serve and do good things, but live and die sacrificially to serve, to seek, to save those who would come to faith and repentance in him. Jesus, our Lord, is the greatest model of this ever. Isn't that what Jesus did? He left the halls of heaven. He left his throne with the Father. He humbled himself and took on that form. This is why a faith that doesn't do the same in each of our individual contexts, is not a genuine faith. He argues that if your faith makes you say those platitudes, and it doesn't lead to you acting to serve, that's a dead faith. Now, I want to address a misunderstanding that easily comes from these passages, and I've alluded to it already. This misguided reaction, this knee-jerk reaction that comes from this text is the desire to go, oh, well, Okay, I want to do better. I want to be good. I want to be saved. I want to actually have a true faith. So I guess I better do good things. And that's simply putting the cart before the horse. Because we also read some pretty strong statements from James in verse 22 that make us think this way. If we don't consider the whole of God's word, tota scriptura. In verse 24 earlier we read, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That word justified means before God, we are justified as if the person who was guilty but before the judge is called innocent. 
When he says that we are justified by works, not by faith alone, he's saying we are made right with God. And if you've been in evangelical Christianity or Protestant Christianity for very long at all, which is what word of grace would fall under both of those titles or umbrellas, then you would probably be pretty familiar with Ephesians 2. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. If you know this true statement from Ephesians where Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says we're saved by grace through faith not of Paul tells the Ephesians we're saved by grace through faith not of works lest any man should boast let's go ahead and look at that this morning we'll start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says this and you were dead Interesting that the faith that doesn't work, he called dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is Paul giving us the bad news, saying, hey, You were dead in sin, and like the rest of mankind, you did what you wanted out of your evil, sinful desires. Verse 4, here comes the gospel, the good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, the great love we were just singing about, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here we are. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Once more, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is making it pretty clear here that it's not our works that save us. Rather, that we are saved by grace, meaning you could never do enough good to earn it. That's why the knee-jerk reaction from this text and from this sermon is going to be, well, I guess I better get more involved in charity and, and become more benevolent and I need to do more service. All those things are true for all of us. But if the reaction from this message is to do that rather than to go, man, I am saved by grace through faith, not of works, then we are, we are falling into or feeding into Our natural tendencies, which is a desire to be good, a desire to earn, a desire to get God to like us because we did good, and God sitting here going, honey, you can't do enough good. Your sin is so bad, so evil, so stinky before my holy nostrils that you can't do enough good to come close enough, and your only hope is that if you fall on the grace of my son Jesus Christ who died in your place, the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus is your only hope. You're saved by grace, meaning the free gift that you cannot earn. Through faith, meaning the only way you get that salvation is by believing in this gospel. 
and it is not by works so that we can't boast, meaning we don't get to walk with a Jesus swag where we're like, yeah, I'm a good Christian person. Look at all the good things I do. Look at my good deeds. I love to serve the poor. I love to give and be generous. I'm at the church every single week. I read my Bible every day. I pray a whole lot. God must be really proud of me. He's saying no. He would go on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, the gospel, the good news is simply this. It's everything Paul just said in Ephesians 2. Up to this point, it is that we were dead in sin, and because we acted like everyone else in the world, following our evil desires, our sinful desires of our flesh, and because of that, because we did that, we were all of us, every single one of us, subject to the impending wrath of God against sin. That's the bad news. That is the bad news waiting for all who don't come to faith in Christ. The good news, the gospel, is that because God is so rich in mercy and because he has great love for us, that while we were dead in sin, that Jesus Christ made us alive together with him. While we were his enemies, he made us alive. While we were opposed to him, he offered the sacrifice for us. And him making us alive in Christ as we repent from sin and believe in Jesus Christ, by his grace, that free gift through faith, we receive salvation in Christ. Have you ever stopped to think about some of these churchy words, some of these things that we say a whole lot of times in church but don't really explain a whole lot, and so they become these kind of empty churchy things we say like salvation, saved. Have you ever stopped to ask, okay, well, why do we need to be saved? What do we need to be saved from? If we took a poll, if I did a shot out a text to all of you and said, hey, select one of these answers right here. What do you need to be saved? Why do you need to be saved? And what do you need to be saved from? There'd probably be all sorts of different answers, but I bet most of them would fall under the categories of, well, we need to be saved from sin. True. Or we need to be saved from death. True. Or we need to be saved from Satan. Also True. But if we went to Romans chapter 5, and in fact we did a few weeks ago, it tells us that we will be saved, one of the places it actually says what we are saved from, that we are saved from the wrath of God. We live in a modern Western culture who does not like this idea. We live in a society that likes to magnify rightly the love of God, which is beautiful and true, eternally true, and let's pretend that there is not a wrath and we want to defang God and pretend that he will not judge sin, but he is holy and just and righteous. And if he does not judge sin, he is not righteous. If any of you were violated by a criminal in some way, done wrong, that injustice was done upon you, you would want a judge to exact justice upon that crime. And if that judge did not, if that judge knew what was done wrong against you and turned a blind eye to it and then said not guilty, in your heart and in your mind, you would look at that judge and you would say corrupt, evil, unjust. And so people want to say, oh, oh, how could a good and loving God be like that? 
because he's just and he's righteous and he sees all and knows all and there is no sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed that will not be judged. The question for all of us is, was your sin judged on the cross or will your sin be judged before the throne? You better put your hope for judgment of your sin on Jesus on the cross. This is the grace of God. This is what has been made available to us that Ephesians 2 is telling us. That this free gift of the grace of God, the forgiveness made available in Jesus Christ as Easter approaches, as Good Friday approaches, and as we have an opportunity, please, I want to encourage you, take advantage to come and watch the Passion of the Christ on Good Friday. As you watch those brutal scenes of Jesus Christ being beaten for us, whipped for us, nailed to a cross for us, up on the cross, suffocating, asphyxiating, going under the most brutal pain for us. We need to remember that that was the generosity, the kindness, the love, the good of goodness of God that is sparing us and saving us from his just wrath on sin. That is the good news. And if culture lies to you and tells you, well, he couldn't be good if he judged sin. He couldn't be good if he punished people. He could, the, the, a God of wrath is not a God of love. Oh, they're lying about the kind of judge they would want in court. And the guilty conscience of people is what causes them to go, no, God can't be like that. Why? Because they know they're sinners. This is why Romans 1 tells us that everyone has seen the invisible attributes of God, that everyone knows deep in their soul, in the core of their being, they know he exists. As much as they try and use academia and science and philosophy to try and go, oh no, God couldn't exist, they know. And they are at war against the truth because they don't want it to be true. Because John chapter 3, Jesus says, this is what happened. The true light has come into the world. The light has come into the darkness, and men love darkness because their deeds are evil. The sinful heart that has not been made new by the grace of God loves sin. We love it. This is why he said in Ephesians 2, And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all walked, following the passions of our flesh and of the mind. The person that has not had the Holy Spirit come in and make them new, that person loves sin. But God. That's a good spot for amen. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. When he could have said, you rebelled. You spat in my face. You offended me. You fought me. Because of the great love with which he loved us even while we were dead in sin. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. See, salvation is a free gift to us because it was bought by Jesus for us. I'll say that one more time. Salvation is a free gift to us because it was bought by Jesus 
for us. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much good you do, it will never, ever be enough to get you back in God's good graces because the only way back into God's good graces is by placing all your trust in what Jesus did on the cross, not what you do. What he did, we are not saved by our works. Now, but, but wait a minute, hold on, Stephen, you... You just read in James chapter 2, where James said, therefore we see that we are not saved by faith only, but by our works also. He said that we're justified not by faith alone, but by works. What's going on here? Which is it? Which one? Are we saved by faith plus works like James said, or by grace through faith like Paul said? Did Paul and James disagree? Did Paul have a gospel of grace while James had a gospel of salvation by works? Well, let's keep reading Paul's words in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 10. In fact, let's jump back really quick to verse 8, verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, James states that our salvation, or I'm sorry, but Paul states that our salvation is not a result of works, meaning your works aren't what make you saved, but that we are saved for good works. See, saved for good works does not equal saved by good works. But we are still saved for good works. We are still saved, brought into the kingdom of God to be about that king's mission. In fact, Paul is showing here that he and James are actually on the same page, that we were saved by grace through faith, not of works, but a true faith will produce good works, that we are saved for good works. And if you don't have good works, it ought to be something today that causes evaluation. It ought to be something today that makes you sit here and go, why don't I live that way? Because James is confronting us this morning and saying, if you don't live that way, if you ignore those in need, if you don't do good works, then your faith is dead. And earlier in the book, in his letter, he said that you're self-deceived, deceiving yourself if you are a hearer and not a doer. In fact, if the scripture today makes you think, man, I guess I need to start doing more good works, perhaps it should instead make you think, why don't I do good works? Because for many, many, many churchgoers, they believe that they're saved because they listen, they hear, they read, they attend. And James is here, standing here today, to say, does your faith save? He's arguing that if your faith doesn't move you to act on behalf of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the helpless, the needy, those who have less than you, then you're not saved. That's what James is saying. Again, we want to go, Oof, well, uh, okay, I need to start doing more. Not what he's saying. He's trying to hold up a mirror 
Remember earlier where he said, if you hear but don't do, it's like the person who looks in the mirror, sees themselves and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. He's trying to chase you with that mirror and say, look, look, what's your life look like? What do your works look like? And if your works don't look like Jesus' works of loving and serving those who were beneath him, then your faith is dead. This is not the message of try harder, be better, do more. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, it is finished. The gospel is done. And if you believe it, if you have received God's grace, and if God's spirit is in you, you will have good works of love, service, mercy, generosity, and so on. I'll say it this way. We either have a doer faith or no faith. That's a simple way we can say it today. If you walk out these doors and there's a phrase that needs to stick in your mind, you either have a doer faith or you have no faith. We either have a doer faith or no faith. This is further clarified if we go back to James chapter 2 and we keep on reading. Flipping back over to James 2, we'll start in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I'll stop and I'll ask this. How many people in the world believe in God? A lot, I think. I think a lot of people believe in God, believe that there is a God. In fact, if we went out and we did uh, surveys and interviews out in the community and we just asked people, hey, yes or no, do you believe in God? I think we would get a lot of yeses. There's a lot of people who believe that God exists. Yet James is actually drawing an association here saying, hey, good for you. Even the demons go that far. He said, even the demons believe <laughs> and they shudder. Going, if, if all you have is mental assent, believe that there is a God or that God exists, you're not too far off from the demons. There's a difference in belief and faith. Belief is believing that God exists, while faith is acting on that belief. It is placing your trust in him even though you can't see him. This is why Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, that the uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen or the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That faith is going, I can't see this, but I'm holding on to my faith in the thing that I can't see and I'm acting on it because of what I'm hoping for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's what I'm holding on to and it is the evidence of things I can't see. It's what gives me the ability to trust in what I can't see. So believing is useless just going, yeah, I believe in God. There's plenty of people who believe. There are also plenty of people who do not have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, what I would call saving faith. And I think James is arguing that you can have a faith or a belief that doesn't save you because you're not living it out. Continuing on in verse 20, he says this, 
Do, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. This is James harking back to the father of the faith, Abraham saying, listen, Abraham had faith in God and that's what made him righteous. Yet that faith led him to act in walking with his son for three days to the mountain and then walking up the mountain ready to plunge the knife in an act of obedience to what God said to him. The faith that he had led him to act on what he was told. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Again, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament where the spies came in to spy out the land and Rahab the prostitute. Here's an opportunity for James to say, hey, just in case you're thinking I'm saying it's because Abraham was a good guy, there's also Rahab the prostitute, the one who we would hear about and, and tend to cast condescending, condescending judgment towards. He says, she also was made righteous by faith in that she acted on what she believed. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from from works is dead. One more time, we are not saved by our good works, but if our faith is without good works, we do not have saving faith. If we do not have a faith that pushes us or, or motivates us into acts of love and service and generosity, we do not have saving faith. The question is not, should we have good works or not? None of us today, if I got up here and just said, hey guys, do you think we should do good works? Nobody here is going, nope. No, I don't think we should. Of course, we all know that. The question is not, should we have good works or not? The question is, are our good works the root or the fruit of our salvation? That's the difference. The fact is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that the faith is the root of our salvation. Faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when we have faith that leads us to repent and turn away from sin, we receive the Holy Spirit of God and he produces in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The good works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit or the evidence of our salvation. Remember where Jesus said, hey, you will know a tree by its fruit. You can walk up to a fig tree and know it's a fig tree. Why? There's figs on the branches. I've told you before, you guys will know, my in-laws have an apple tree in their backyard. I know it's an apple tree because I've seen the apples. I've plucked the apples. I've bit the apples and said, mmm, delicious. Good works are the evidence and the danger of this message is that the Pharisee will rise up in us and make us want to make other people think we are saved so we will walk out and do more good things so that we can try and have fruit. And that's like us going to the store, buying fake display fruit and going, see, I've got the fruit, I've got it. And all it takes is someone getting close enough to your life to look at it and go, 
That ain't real fruit. Because it's not coming out of who you are. You're fabricating artificial displays, trying to convince yourself and others that you're saved. Good works are the fruit, not the root of our faith. And I'll say it once more. A faith that doesn't work is a faith that doesn't save. There are opportunities coming in the near future for our church to be involved in more charitable acts. We have partners with, um, I think about Rick, with Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. What a great work you're doing. That's a great opportunity to be involved in what we're talking about. I think about Anchor of Hope, Samaritan's Hand, so many other organizations that are doing good works. I think about the fact that in the near future, we're getting ready to, um, to go back out into the mission field and send short-term mission teams into Mexico. Um, I was just this week made aware of the fact that there are some um, refugees from Rohingya who are coming to Sheboygan County that um, uh, I'm hoping and praying that our church could be involved in loving and serving and being a blessing to them. Those are all things we should do, and I hope and pray we as a church family will rally around doing those things more. But... Do not deceive yourself by trying to grasp fake fruit. You can only do it so long before the tree and what it is is revealed. You can only try to be good and do good so long. And this was me for the first 26 years of my life, trying to convince myself that I was saved, trying to convince myself that I loved God even though I loved sin. And when I was 26, I finally looked in the mirror and was honest with myself and said, Stephen, you are a wicked wretch. And you're doing all this good stuff, trying to make everyone else think that you love God when you know you don't. And I rededicated my life a hundred times in my adolescence. Well, I mean it this time, God, I'm going to do better. That's not the gospel. The good news is you aren't good. But there is a good God who saves you and changes you and changes the desires of your heart, changes what you want, changes you internally from the inside out to where you want to please God, you want to serve, you want to give, and you don't need a preacher up here going, come on, guys, let's do more. You don't need someone telling you, come on, let's be generous. You don't need someone saying, hey, let's go out into the community and let's go out amongst the least of these and let's give and let's serve. When the Holy Spirit has come in and changed your heart, when you've finally been honest about how wicked your desires are and you go, God, I'm, I'm evil. I need a savior. I need you to change my heart. When you do that and you humble yourself, he does it. He comes in by his Holy Spirit. He takes out the stony, stubborn heart of flesh and he replaces it, or the stony, stubborn heart of stone and he replaces it with the heart of flesh, the heart that hears the decrees of his law and delights in it. The heart that sees the body of Christ and goes, man, what a bunch of weirdos, but I love being with you. 
the heart that is now transformed to want to not live for ourselves in this fleeting vapor of life, but to use every moment not wasted, but invested into the kingdom work. God, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would be at work bringing people in this room and in the commons and online to saving faith in Jesus Christ right now, resisting the temptation to convince themselves that they're saved, but being honest and looking at the fruit, looking at the evidence going, why do I want what I want? God, I ask that you would give us the grace to evaluate ourselves. And for those of us who know you, praise God, let us continue to exemplify your generosity in our families, in our communities, in our places of work, wherever we are. But Lord, if there's anyone who has pulled a blinder over their eyes, who has used good deeds to try to convince themselves that they know you and love you. God, I ask that you would help them look in the mirror and be honest with themselves, confess their sin, confess their need, declare their hope in Jesus Christ, repent and turn from sin. And that our hope would not be in us, in our works, in our good deeds, but our hope would be in Christ alone, his work on the cross. God, I ask you to save today. God, I ask you by your Holy Spirit that you would save today. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is greater than little accidents. And Satan is damned forever. And he will not overcome what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in hearts. Our hope is in Christ alone. 